Hello and welcome to Talk the Line. I'm Jen Long. On this podcast, I talk to some of our favourite people about the things that they are passionate about. And this week, I'm talking to DIY outlier musician Jim White at the End of the Road Festival. And the subject is somewhat loosely scavenging. Sorry, this is so impromptu. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, uh, life, the creation of life was impromptu, right? <laughs> when uh, when inert matter turned into crystals and they started to grow, that was impromptu. It wasn't expected or planned. <laughs> unless you're a, like you believe in God and, and the God is making things happen. So impromptu is good. Impromptu is fun. This is great. And I'm excited to learn about scavenging, which I believe is the topic of conversation here. It's about finding objects or well, making yeah, we things can talk out about scavenging. Uh, I do it in a broad variety of realms, whether it be, you know, finding things on the roadside or I, I scavenge uh, expressions uh, when I'm walking around the streets. But uh, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a person, um, I, I've said this before about the way my mind works. Uh, when I used to get assignments in school and they would say, write on this theme, I always did miserably. <laughs> uh, but if I had to describe something that, that I felt or, or happened, I had all of these beautiful words. And slowly but sure, this image came into my mind of, um, like, you're given the assignment to, to, to build a tree. Yeah. You know, most people would start, the, there's a tree right there, right? They would start by digging a hole and putting some roots in the ground. Yeah. And then they would attach the trunk. And the trunk would go up a ways, and then they would start attaching the limbs and then the smaller limbs, and then the twigs. And last but not least, they would put the, 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 the leaves on, right? Yeah. Um, and somewhere along the way, the way I'm configured, uh, I have to start with the leaves. I have to start throwing leaves in the air <laughs> in a kind of a, a, a magical, crazy bonsai tree kind of way. And when I see a form, finally, that I like, then I try to construct something that will hold it up. Gotcha. That's, that's called having an associative mind rather than a thematic mind. Okay. So I, I work by association. So I have to surround myself with lots of leaves. And the leaves come in the form of both objects and, you know, written words that people have said. Um, little, little, little fragments that I create into the mosaic of, of my personal meaning. So I probably have a thematic mind because I'm like, we're going to talk about scavenging. Right. And we'll talk about where you started scavenging what you made with the stuff you scavenged right. and what you're up to next. And you're probably like, well, there's this bit over here and a bit over here, and then we'll go back to this. So this is probably, right. I'm going to let you lead. Take me where you want to go. Well, well, you know, in the universe, the push and the pull is good. So uh, if there's too much associative thinking, there is no central theme. If there's too much thematic thinking, there, there are no leaves on the tree. Um, so it, it, there has to be an interplay between two, and that's you know as sort of symbolized by our little conversation. <laughs> this here. is going to be a perfect partnership. I can feel it already. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can I can I can tell you little little bits. Uh, um, I, I scavenge words and phrases that I use in my songs, um, and I learned this. Um, I used to work at a restaurant in New York City called Food Restaurant. Philip Glass was one of the owners. Oh, wow. It was a very, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know who Philip Glass was at the time. I was just coming up from the South and the church and all that. It was a really legendary place, apparently. An artist collective in Soho, when Soho was a, a dangerous neighborhood instead mm. of Dubai like it is right now. <laughs> but I worked at this restaurant for a couple years and celebrities came in pretty often and it, I would just kind of yawn. Um, one day, dead quiet, nobody around, Tom Waits walked in. Wow. Um, 
and I, I, I had bought swordfish trombones and I'd, I'd listened to it until literally the, the, the grooves were off the record. Um, and so, I, I, and I don't worship many people, but I got really excited. Um, and I, and I, this restaurant was kind of trendy, you know, mm. like they had quiche and, and um, fancy brie sandwiches and all this stuff. And I remember having this divided thought. First off, I thought, it's the most beautiful thing in the world, Tom Waits is standing there. And second off, if he orders a brie sandwich, I'm never going to listen to his music <laughs> again. <laughs> there he was. What did he order? He stood staring at the board with his arms crossed. He, he was living in New York at that time. It was 1984, maybe. Yeah. And, and uh, he had moved there for a short stint. And He stared at the board, rubbing, rubbing his chin and looking like a derelict. And uh, after a while... Uh, I just decided I couldn't bear the suspense anymore, so in my best Tom Waits voice, I said, What do you have, Mac? <laughs> <laughs> and he he kind of winced and uh, didn't do anything, and then uh, after a while, he looked at me out of the corner of his eyes and said, Nothing, and walked out. No. Yeah, so it was perfect. It was exactly what I hoped for, because if he had <laughs> ordered a brie sandwich, I would have to go home and break all the Tom Waits records that I had. But here's what he did. He walked out of the restaurant, and living across the street in, in an abandoned doorfront, this is when Soho was uh, a wasteland, and in this abandoned doorfront was uh, Hank. Hank was a homeless man who had maybe three teeth. He lived on a diet of Listerine and black pepper. Um, that's all he ate and drank. Um, he had an old guitar. He, he was the most decrepit-looking human being you have ever seen, living in a pile of filth and garbage in a doorway that no one had walked through for a thousand years. There he was sitting on that pile, and he had a guitar with one string on it. And with that one string, he would try to regale the passers-by with sort of animalistic grunts. That would it would be like, ding, 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 ha, ding, 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 and he thought he was Hank Williams' son, the illegitimate yeah, son of yeah. Hank Williams Jr. Um, and he also thought that the U.S. postal system had commissioned him to create a series of postage stamps based on the paintings of Bruegel, you know, the paintings of hell. Right. So, wow. So, uh, wow. And, and Edward Munch. He, 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 he was sure that the postal system had commissioned him to do that, and National Geographic wanted him to do some things. And he was, you know, schizophrenic, uh, mm. psychotic. Um, but Tom Waits walked out after saying nothing to me, laid an eye on Hank, made a beeline across the street, sat down next to him and pulled out a notebook. And he talked to Hank for an hour. I watched through the window as he talked to Hank. And every, every two, three minutes, there he was writing something down that Hank said. Right. Um, so he was scavenging words, thoughts, ideas, fragments of culture. Yeah. And he probably does this with everybody. I don't, I don't know him personally. Mm. Um, but um, so that's, I went out the next day and I got a notebook and I started scavenging words. Now I lived in New York City and I had no... Uh, possessions other than what I got there with which was the clothes on my back and and that was about it so uh, I set out on the, the fertile streets of New York and I'd always been kind of a scavenger but New York was where it it turned into a, a high art form <laughs> I I was furnishing apartments for people I was providing props for movies um, I drove a cab and I would I would load the trunk up uh, with with stuff um, every couple of nights oh I had gosh. 15 or 20 bicycles that I dug out of garbage piles and that led me to various 
wild escapades. Sometimes, you know, if like I say, I was talking about in my show here that if you live on the edge of the the uh, weird exotic realm where strange things happen, yeah. if you find objects from there, they're also imbued with magic. <laughs> so, you know, a bike that I would find in an, uh, like I found a bike on Christmas Eve, uh, abandoned behind my taxi fleet, covered in snow. This beautiful old bike, and it had a cantilever frame, and. Um, I took it home and I fixed it up and I, I rode it around and, and, and uh, eventually I got mugged on the Brooklyn Bridge um, and the bike was stolen. I was knocked unconscious. Long story about how it happened. Uh, off the bike went and um, I thought I would never see it again and I was chasing the guy down the bridge screaming stop him. There was nobody around. It was Having just regained consciousness. Yeah, I was unconscious. I was out. He, it was like Mike Tyson right to the face. It was, oh, wow. I was out. So, um, and this was a cold winter night. Um, as, he was as he was riding away on my bike down the bridge, um, there was one guy on the bridge jogging up. And I started screaming, St you know, stop him, you know, he mugged me. And the guy couldn't hear, so the bike went past him. It was like a, 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 like a weird Jacques Tati film, if you know Jacques Tati. It's just like this weird visual comedy, like I'm almost laughing by the time the guy gets to me. And, and he's like, what happened? And I said, he, you know, he stole my bike, he robbed me. And the guy said, I'm a district attorney. I'm going to arrest him. <laughs> and he, he was in his little jogging shorts and he ran off after the guy. The guy was long gone. He was, oh. he was a, a career criminal who had laid in wait. So the bike was gone, the magic bike with its special gears and it was from the 1950s. And I know, New York always provided me with another one digging, digging in the garbage. Um, and you know, so a few days later while driving the taxi I found this really crappy like 10 speed bike and I rode that for six, eight months. And summer came and I'm riding that up the, the Brooklyn Bridge to go to my home. I lived in Brooklyn at the time. And I'm, I'm coming up the bridge and the tire goes flat on that bike. And it's a crappy bike and the bridge has bad memories. And I'm just, I'm feeling really depressed because um, my life is so marginal. You know, when you live on the edge of the world, it, it can be very demoralizing day after day of just nearly falling off and trying to keep your balance. And so uh, it's a beautiful spring day and there's thousands of people on the same bridge that there wasn't a soul on six months earlier. And coming down the bridge is this uh, interracial couple. She's black and he's white and they're young and they're sweet looking and they're on a bicycle and it's for sale. And I think, oh, the universe has spoken. Yeah. This is, I'll buy this bike and I'll hand them this crappy other bike that it was, you know, it was just falling to pieces and, and it'll be the good end to the story, you know, like closure. Well, as it's getting closer, I'm thinking, you know, do I really want this bike? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool looking bike. And then it's getting closer and I'm like, that's a, that's a really cool looking bike. And then I'm getting a little closer and it's like, that's my bike. <gasps> no. Yeah, in a city of 10 million people. And so I, I stopped him and I said, hey, is this bike for sale? And they said, um, yes, it is. It is. It is. It, it's been sitting in our living room for six months and we thought we would bring it up on the bridge today to either sell or try to find the owner. Why was it in their living room? Um, well, I didn't, you're thinking thematically here. You have to, we have to go with the leaves <laughs> here. So I, I had to play it kind of cautious because I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're friends of the guy that mugged me. I don't know what's going to happen next, even though it's broad daylight. So I say, tell me where you got the bike. And they said it was the strangest thing. Uh, about six months ago, we were walking home from the subway, and in the middle of an intersection, it was laying on its side in the middle of an uh, where no one goes. It's called Dumbo down under the yeah, yeah. Manhattan Bridge. Um, so it's now a popular place, but back then it was a no man's land. She said, um, and we saw it laying there, and we we just felt 
like we needed to rescue it. So we took it into our apartment, and we don't ride bikes, so it's been sitting there, and we just figured, well, let's take it up on the Brooklyn Bridge and sell it to somebody. And they didn't know it had come from the Brooklyn Bridge. And so I said, well, it's interesting because this is my bike. You found the owner. And she went, oh, get out of here. That's funny. Yeah. And I said, no. And I pulled out my keychain. I still had the lock. I didn't throw in the lock away. And I unlocked the lock on the seat, which they had never been able to unlock because there was a chain wrapped around with a lock on it. And we all laughed and were just, you know, filled with joy. It was a magic item. Wow. Yeah. And... And so objects sometimes, if, if you find them in the right context, they, they have powers. I have a thematic question. Mm-hmm. If you're scavenging all these articles from the streets of New York, yeah. where did you store them all? How big was your apartment? Well, that's what I started uh, furnishing other people's apartments. Right. Um, and at a certain point, uh, people, roommates got upset with me. I had, uh, I had uh, this incredibly beautiful altar that I built in my living room that got bigger and bigger until there was, there was nowhere to sit. So, you know, you would call that hoarding, but it's not. It's, uh, uh, what do they call that? Environmental art, um, where you, you transform an environment. And, and they do that, you know, there's lots of artists like Lonnie Holly is a famous artist who does that. And Finster, Howard Finster, a lot of Southern crazy outsider artist mm. they do that I just had a very limited space to, to work in um, now I live in, in Athens and I haven't done the outside of my house oh, but in Georgia the, yeah yeah oh, it's really nice there isn't it eh, there's good things and there's bad things about everywhere okay. um, there's it's quite there's, a college town yeah. yeah it's 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 a very smart liberal town in the middle of a very conservative realm yeah. I kind of run more on the fringe of the conservative people I'm not conservative myself mm. but um, it's more interesting there. There's more frisson, as the, as the French say, if you, you know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there's more frisson. So the flea markets and the, you know, the gas stations and places like that are more interesting to me. That's where I'm, I get my notebook out and start yeah. write, writing stuff down. I have, I have many of them now. Thanks, thanks to the godfather of, of lo-fi, Mr. Tom Waits, who is, who is the most underrated person in the music world right now. If you think about the impact that he had on the music industry, um, there's very few people that come close. I'm going to go back and listen and try and find some song reference to a man in a doorway now. <laughs> Hank. <laughs> Hank was his name. Hank. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you scavenge stuff and you find things, what are you looking for? Does it need to have some obvious quality or be in a certain state? Or do you kind of find things and then fix them up as you go along? Well, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a funny blend of... of completely esoteric creative person and very practical person so when I go out I don't have an itinerary Uh, the day will tell me what it wants to offer Mm -hmm. Um, and it's cool going to the flea market like one day I'll show up and there'll be I I will have never seen a moose head before and there will be four moose heads (laughs) now not that I would collect moose heads yeah but um, so when you go out there's kind of a um, an ebb and flow Um, Things come to you when you need them. Uh, so there, there's the magic stuff finding its way through the quotidian stuff. And you have to recognize when it's there and what it is. So you have to be alert and very awake. Um, I'm also scavenging uh, f- uh, and, and picking for guitars um, because the flea market is a beautiful place. The guitar I played today, uh, which I, I, it turns out is an incredibly valuable guitar, I was told recently by Joe Henry, if you know who Joe Henry is. He's a American producer who produces Rihanna Griddens and all these people, oh, right. lots of Grammys. He's a he's a really smart guy. He came to my show in 
in, in Dublin, and when he saw my guitar, he said, whoa, 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 where'd you get that? And uh, I said, $30 at the flea market. And so it's like proper antiques roadshow where they're like, well, I've just had these things in the attic for years. I think my gran got them somewhere. And then they're like, exactly. well, this is actually worth yes, 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 yes. half a million pounds. No, like, no, not what? half a million. This one's worth about 400 um, So, And I got it for 30 but I wouldn't sell it for 400 because it's it's it has magic in it. And so I bring a lot of stuff home and try to determine the charge in them. Some things have no charge, and then I have to reluctantly let them go via you know, giving them to thrift stores or, you know, passing them on to friends or turning them into something like practical in my yard, like a fence or something like that. Um, but other things like that guitar, they have magic and they, they stay with you. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like a filtration process, finding finding what has the charge and what doesn't. I, I make a lot of visual art. Yeah. So. Well, I was going to say, how much of it is art and how much of it is practical? I need to make some money and furnish someone's house or I need a new coffee table for my living room I'm going to go to the flea market or look in some skips well I have uh, skips I like that I have uh, I have a long list uh, of practical and esoteric things and they kind of jump back and forth the boundaries uh, between uh, the practical world and the esoteric world are blurred um, there's this beautiful novel called Pedro Paramo it's by Juan Rufo um, do you know Gabriel Garcia Marquez and all yeah, the, the yeah. magical realists? Love in the time of cholera. Right, yeah. right. Uh, Garcia Marquez and Lorca and all those magical realists point to Pedro Paramo as being where they got their ideas from. Right. So he's the father of uh, magical realism, as it's called. Kind of um, romantic. Right. In, in, in Pedro Paramo, there's a character, and he wanders between the world of the living and the dead looking for his mother because yeah. he doesn't know which she is. So sometimes he's in the underworld, sometimes he's back in the regular world, and he, sometimes he can't tell which world he's in. Wow. Um, it's the same with these objects that come into my world. I don't know what they are, I don't know what they'll do, but you know, I, I hear them calling out to me mm. to sort of be rescued. One time, um, this uh, this uh, art gallery in Ireland, you know, a really prestigious gallery, said, we, we heard you do, do art, can you send us some examples? We might do a show of your work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I had a hard time imagining that. I do photography, so I sent them the photography, and they're like, yeah, that's <laughs> gone. <laughs> that's <Aww>. okay. <laughs> and then, then I sent them some paintings I did, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And then I, I thought, I'm just going to send them this bulletin board that I had pegged all these weird newspaper articles that I had found and, and things that I'd gotten at the flea market. It was a, a big bulletin board. And you sent the physical object. Oh, well, I sent them a picture okay, of it. Okay, cool, yeah. And I sent them that thinking, you know, well, they'll say no to this and that will be the end of it. And he, he started screaming how beautiful it was. And he said, we're going to do the gallery show with these things I need at least 10 of them maybe 15 yeah and so I just ran around my house I have lots of bulletin boards <laughs> tacking stuff to bulletin boards and when I got it all figured out I loaded it was all things that I found in garbage cans and flea markets and I loaded it all into boxes and I shipped it to Ireland and it was one of the happiest moments of my life because I was shipping it to this prestigious gallery and on the customs forms it said <laughs> detailed description of contents and I didn't have to write anything I wrote garbage <laughs> 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 and I'm sure the customs guys were like, well, we're going to open this and yeah, look inside, yeah. and it's garbage. <laughs> um, but when I got there, this garbage, which was virtually on the edge of disappearing forever because it was about to go to a landfill, yeah. love letters, um, little tchotchkes and tokens and um, broken pieces of a windowsill, and all these things which were about to disappear forever were yeah. suddenly in this highly prestigious art gallery 
in Dublin next to the Book of Kells at Trinity College and art oh, yeah. art you know high highfalutin art people were standing in front of them staring at them saying fascinating right fascinating and I got a review in the art the big art newspaper there saying how interesting it was and how the idea of redemption was so mm. present and it was like a really beautiful point because um, my life is much like these discarded things I spent a lot of years lost mm. and here I am you know doing a podcast with you and playing this festival and all this magic redemptive stuff is happening to me when you know 25 years ago I was suicidal and impoverished and didn't know where my foot was going to land next and didn't want it to land anywhere on this earth has the scavenging side always been in some way a comfort then always been like a thing that kind of makes you feel like you're still at home no matter where you go it's it's more like it's an endorsement of the idea of redemption right it's okay. like no you cannot throw that away because it needs to be redeemed which is what i'm saying to myself you know yeah i'm saying i can be redeemed if i just keep finding a better use for this object <laughs> <laughs> what is the most unique or interesting or kind of like surprising thing that you've ever found? Oh, well, there's so many things, you know, the, the, this Braille textbook, which is really beautiful. I think about it a lot. Um, the thing I like best is a diary um, that I found in a dumpster. It was about to disappear. And it was, uh, it was 365 days, a purpose-filled life diary. Really? That was what it was called. Did a you purpose not feel field. strange reading that? Not at all. No. Really? Um, and the first page, uh, it, you know, whoever was wrote it was hardly articulate. First day <laughs> was, it was four things. It was like, talk to Mike, go to work, eat dinner, go to sleep. Oh. And the next day it was, talk to Mike, eat dinner, go to work, watch TV. Wow. And the next day, and, and slowly but surely it was, talk to Mike, sing songs, go to bar, go to sleep. And then the next day it was like, eat breakfast, go to work. And, that's, and then pretty soon there was no more work. And pretty soon there was a lot more singing with Mike. And then there was, you know, Mike's birthday present as the year went on. And it, it, was always, it was always written just as this little list. And then the handwriting became more scrawled as, you know, like talk to Mike about fight. This and this and this, wow. and 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 by by uh, you know uh, beer like Schlitz beer, and and it was this person's life in the 365 day pur purpose-filled life fell to pieces. No, it's completely to pieces. And on Halloween, it was Mike gone, beer gone, no work, no money, and then a bunch of weird scribbles that someone clearly did when they were drunk. So it was very sad. And I got to that point, I was just about crying. And then I got about eight pages ahead, and it was um, eat breakfast, go to work, and it started <laughs> over again. Did Mike ever come back? Mike never came back. Oh. Talk, 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 talk to uh, Annie after that. So Annie was the replacement for, for Mike, who was clearly the love of her life, and he was gone oh. forever. There was no, it, it, was, it was, you know, a Graham Greene novel. <laughs> told as as a four-point list oh. it was so beautiful that that's probably my favorite one i took that one in fact to the the dublin show oh, and wow, yeah. i made copies of it and put it on the table for people to carry away with them oh that's really nice yeah. um yeah. i was going to ask you when you when you go and look in skips and things like that mm -hmm. are you ever like 
either like scared or worried or concerned that people are going to like come over and be like what are you doing or well or I, also I that you might like injure yourself or touch something that you're not really supposed to touch i've never been afraid of that um I, i've always been scared of getting in trouble um, I always have a guilty conscience. Yeah. So when I climb in them, I, I worry that I'm going to get some foreman in trouble or, you know, someone who's, uh, yeah, you that's, know. I guess that's sort of, sort of what right. I meant as well. You so know, I have like a conscience in that respect. And I also um, I, am concerned because I always look wrong. And mm. cops always like to stop me and, and find out because I just look wrong. <laughs> yeah, cops have a sense of who's right and who's wrong. So when I, some places it's illegal to be in dumpsters and others it's not. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some places it's com in Athens where I live. It's illegal. Um, do you do it anyway? Yeah, um, <laughs> covertly. Um, but Under darkness. But no, it's like I, I think of myself as an archaeologist working in a big metal bin. <laughs> <laughs> you know that there, there it is. Everything's just there. You know, histories of people. When I lived in New York, I, I found like a, a twelve-piece, perfectly intact set of bone china from England from the 1800s. What? I, I found. The things I found were astonishing, um, beautiful things, horrifying, terrifying things, everything. God, what's it, the most terrifying thing? Well, I, I found a lot of really weird books in one dumpster uh, that, that dealt with, like, sadomasochism oh. and, and torture. Um, and, you know, like, they had a, just a bad feeling about them. So, you know, you pick them up, you open them up, and you think, well, I wouldn't have found that unless I was in a dumpster. Because <laughs> <laughs> where did that even come from? You know, it was really degenerate. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I put them back and, 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 and went on my way looking for things that felt like they had redemptive power. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, a dark person in that respect. Mm. Um, you know, there's some artists who would have been thrilled to find it and make... Um, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, funny, a funny one, I found a bunch of... Um, I found a German medical book full of... Uh, Illust not illustrations, but photographs of what casts should look like. And, um, and it was so beautiful because, you know, most of the people they photographed were naked for some reason. Yeah. But it was very innocent because they had the cast, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I saved it for years. And then my best friend's mom broke her arm and she was German. <gasps> so I went and I looked in the book and, and I sent her a get well card. On a on a book from 1923, and it, it just it made her so happy. That's so funny. So the, sometimes the objects stay inert, and then they're activated by some life circumstances, and you can feel like when you find them, this is gonna this is gonna. It's very rare that I find something that it, it stays in my house for 20 years and then I throw it away. Right. Yeah. But do do you have a lot of these things in your house now in, in oh, yeah. Athens? How big is your house? Like, do you have a I, kind of room dedicated to it, or is it a garage? Or I have. It's a four-bedroom house. Three, three, three bedrooms are full of stuff. No. And I make art out of it, so we can't call it uh, hoarding because it's art supplies. I have shows and galleries, and and the stuff comes from those rooms. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's art supplies, but it's not art supplies you'd find anywhere else. How do you catalog that? How do you know what's where? How do you know that you uh, have a book of German casts that you picked up I, in the 80s that is now? <laughs> um, I used to know. This is the first time I've ever lived anywhere so long. I've, I've been yeah. in this house for 12 years. Normally, I'm a place for a year or two, and then everything goes on the street or in a dumpster or whatever. Right. Pass it on to somebody else. I don't hold on to it. Um, one time, one time in New York, I did, I did, uh, I had been evicted from an apartment um, when I first got there, and I was having trouble, and I, 
I just got rid of everything that was in the apartment that was mine and, and started looking and like a week later I'm um, passing on a street and, and I see a big pile of stuff and it's like ah I'll go over there and look at that and I started sorting through it and I realized that someone had picked it up and it was all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, so you don't even need to pay for removal vans. <laughs> right, right. No, people come, the universe come and get them. just brings it back. But, but I have a really beautiful uh, story about, about this in relation to the art supplies. Um, two years ago, three years ago, I was hired by the uh, Festuge, Aarhus Festuge. It's a big arts festival in Denmark. And they, um, they wanted me to come and make art out of Danish garbage. Yeah. And I said, well, if we're going to do that, we should get Lonnie Holly to come too. Lonnie Holly is one of America's foremost outsider artists. He's a magic person. Do you know Sun Ra? Do you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He's like Sun Ra only with with art rather than, wow. than music. But he's, he's also a musician. Okay, cool. Like he, he, he made a record. He doesn't know how to play piano. He doesn't know how to write songs. He just sits down at a piano and songs come out of him, right? Yeah. And uh, so he's this magic, magic figure. And I said, get him over there. And they're, they're like, sure. So, and he looks like, he looks crazy. He looks like Rick James, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's got got dreads in his hair and one eye goes one, one, guy, one eye goes the other way. He's really a beautiful soul. And he is the most connected human being I've ever met. And it's, it's beautiful and strange being with him. Uh, because I have tendencies towards being crazy myself it, sometimes it's 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 a challenge for me because he's he's very happily perched on the edge of the world but I go back and forth okay yeah so we're walking down the street in Aarhus Denmark you know it's, it's, it's the second biggest city so it's a big no, I've, city I've been there it's got a, got a big music college yeah it's I, yeah, yeah 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 it's so, beautiful so we're walking down the street I'm walking with this very strange tall he's about six foot two black man with all these bangles and he's got rings on all his fingers and bracelets on his arms and he's beautiful and in this very strange exotic way and you know I look pretty ordinary and we're walking down the street and we get to a street corner and Lonnie is prone to break into song in the middle of anywhere yeah and all of a sudden we're standing at this crowded crosswalk with you know a hundred people on either side and I hear next to me hello you little green man <gasps> I love you so. And I look at Lonnie, and he's got his eyes, and he's looking up towards the skies. And he says, oh, you little green man, you are so beautiful. Oh, my God. And he's singing this beautiful song about the little green man. He's just improvising. Something something has hit him, right? Yeah. And everybody at the crosswalk is kind of backing up, you know, like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, crazy Americans, you know. Yeah. And so that was it. We went and got the Sprinter van. We rode out there. We went and got our art supplies from the dump. And we're riding back in. And we're past that corner, right? Lonnie's sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm driving. And, and I look over at the corner, and there's 30 preschool kids standing on the corner, all dressed in green, head to toe in green. It was like a school outing, and they all had this uniform, bright green. Wow. And, and I, looked, I looked at Lonnie, and I said, are those the little green men? And he smiled and said, hello, you little green men. You are so beautiful. <laughs> and so that he, he's so in touch with the magic. It's, you know, it, it, it doesn't occur as incident. He's just in, in the river of magic all the time. I get it, a foot in it every once in a while and great things happen. Mm. Um, but the only way you get your foot in the river of magic is leaving the comfortable place yep. and going, going to the edge of the world and then finding out what you've got there. If you don't have it, go back. If you do have it, be careful with what you've got.
and don't be arrogant and, and filled with hubris. When I first got there, I was filled with hubris. When the magic would start to come to me, um, I would think, yeah, oh, everything's going to be great. The magic is here. And terrible things would happen to me. Um, and so what I learned was when, when the magic is present, it is asking you to be present as well. Only present. Not, no narratives in your mind that say, this is what this magic means. Just be present and, and wait for it to talk to you. And that sounds crazy, I know, but it's 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 a way of life for, for certain people who who they ha they're configured that way, like I'm configured. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Thank you so much for talking to me. That was really all right, fascinating. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was you definitely did not get much thematic in there. <laughs> Didn't get but a chance. You kept bringing it back. To a big thanks to Mr. Jim White. Jim's seventh solo album, Waffles, Triangles and Jesus, was released last year on the quality British-based American label Loose Music, and you can find him on Facebook to see what he's up to next. And a big thanks to End of the Road. You've been listening to Talk the Line. I'm Jen Long. This is a podcast from the line of Best Fit, produced by Paul Bridgewater with original music by Seams. We upload a new one every other Monday, you can find us on the internet, you can subscribe to this podcast, or you can leave us a nice review. See you soon. <laughs>